I've had the joy of knowing you for a long time. We met about 30 years ago, and I'll tell you, we, we are still looking very young, so oh, praise God. the Lord. So, my brother, please uh, g- give us an update on what's happening there uh, with, with the Anyi translation. And just so you know, this is a ministry that we FCC support on a monthly basis. And so this is part of the fruit of what we're giving to on a monthly basis. And we're excited to hear the good report. Thank you, Pastor Ray. Hallelujah. Oh, that clap is on to the Lord and to his precious people. God bless you, precious people of God. I give honor to the Lord Jesus, who is the Lord and the Savior of my life. And truly to your pastor, uh, Pastor John, Pastor Ray, and those who serve in this house, Uh, I bring you greetings from my wife, Vanessa, who is my best friend and my greatest supporter in this work. Uh, She wanted to be with you. She could not because she has another assignment in our own church. But it's a joy and a delight to be here sharing with you on missions The missions that we are doing and you have been supporting, it's actually in Ghana and amongst my own people, the Anyi. We have planted churches. We have uh, done conferences uh, called the Bridge. I heard about bridge building here, which is really an initiative to bring people of African ancestry together. There is one sister here who has been on missions with us before and was a part of that. But the greatest focus, which has really now taken me back to Africa, is Bible translation. Bible translation. And FCC, God bless you for your partnership with us in this great work. Listen. Bible translation is not just another mission's work. It is a core of what missions should also be about. Because, you know, uh, language is the vehicle on which any people or their culture actually travels. And unless... Christ becomes resident as he has been incarnate amongst us, then people have difficulty actually comprehending and embracing the good news, the gospel. I'll tell you two short stories, very short. One of them was uh, when I was preaching a couple of years ago, Christmas time, December 24th. It was in an arena on a park where we had people on all four sides. And on that night, when I stood up, I said, Today I'm going to preach God's word out of the Anyi language, Amananyi, in the western north of Ghana. The main town is Enchi. And then I said, Will somebody read for us the scripture? And someone rose up to read. John 3.16 And they read in all languages the English language. We don't speak English. But we don't have the Bible in our language. And when the pastor started reading For God so loved the world I started a freelance translation. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life, everlasting life. Not quite five minutes into my preaching, and I was preaching in the Anyi, an older German gets up from the corner, like from that corner, walking towards me at the podium. 
And the men stopped him, the, the ushers, greeters, whatever title you give to them. And I said, let him come. What would an old man do to a young man like me? <laughs> and so they ushered him to the podium and I said, Papa, what did you want to say? She said, I am about 80 years old now. I was born in this village. I have been going to church. All the preaching has been in either English or Cree or some other language. Today I have heard God speak my language. Oh, if you are clapping, do it. It's unto the Lord. Seriously. He said, today I can hear God in my own language. Now I know God speaks Anyi. Folks, it is the truth that God really is heard, understood better when we communicate him in our language. My own ancestors and my people, some of them were fetish priests. One particular lady, Antiago, uh, served at a deity. And one time, three young girls went out on the dumb broadcast. Around here, when you get up at three or four or five to speak in the street, somebody might call the police on you. We don't have that in Africa, okay? And so, when they were preaching, they were announcing, Jesus is the only Savior in Anyi. And he says, nobody else saves. And they began to name deities. Tano doesn't save. Ahunu doesn't save. Bonzamti doesn't save. And apparently, my auntie's goddess or deity was named. She was so offended. The next day, she came to the house. And she said, reporting to the family, how the girls have insulted her. And they called me forward. I came out of my room. And I heard a story and I said, why did you insult somebody? You were out there to preach. Josephine said, Uncle Joseph, we did not insult her. What did you do? So they told the story as I've told you. I said, oh, auntie, they did not insult you. He said, yeah, but when they put down my God, haven't they insulted me? And I said, no, they haven't. Jesus indeed is the only one who saves. In fact, now that you have admitted that you were not named, that was not directed to you. They were lifting up the Savior. Hallelujah. But she heard it in the Anyin language. She said, I grew up in the church and I preached Joshua until people gave me money. But I was still poor, she said. And since I started, you know, this fortune telling in the power and spirit of my goddess look i have become prosperous and i've built a house and so on and so forth and uh fast forward about 10 15 years actually more like 15 years i go back to the to ghana and i visit the family and didn't realize my auntie the fetish priestess was sitting in the corner in the dark when he saw me he came up to greet me and he raised up her hand and I said, why will you shake hands with me? I want a hug like all my aunties. She was clothed in powder, white. And she said, like this? I said, yes, like that. And when we did, she sat down. I said, auntie, I have one request. He said, one request. I said, yes, I'm going back to the U.S. When I come back, I want you to come and join me to lift up this Jesus. Seriously, she said, I will. Unfortunately, in that short trip of about three months, when I returned, she had died. But you see, we all agreed that even though she was in the church, she never understood a lot of things she was being taught because they spoke in another language. How will you like it that you speak Anyi at home, in the marketplace, on the farm? And, and my time is almost up, but hear this. And yet, when you come to school, we don't speak Anyi. 
They are trying to explain concepts, whether it's math or English, to you in another language. You have to learn that first. And then you can learn what you are being taught, right? But it's worse when you come to church and Pastor Ray is speaking and he's speaking English or probably Spanish or Creole or another language, not your native language. And you don't understand half of the things they are saying. My mother died at 96. For most of her life, she was in the church. And when she comes home, you ask her, what did they talk about? He says, I heard about Moses. A whole lot of things I did not understand. But now, we are translating the language, the the Bible, into their own language. I have in my hands a copy of our alphabet. Now we can actually translate the scriptures with speed because we have an approved basis for what we need to translate. And Faith Christian Center, you have been a part of that great ministry. Several churches have supported me and the Ghana missions But beside my own local church, no church has been a consistent supporter of us like Faith Christian Center. And so I thank God for you and thank God for this opportunity. Continue to obey Christ for yourself. Continue to bear fruit that would impact others and influence them for good. But also labor alongside with others so that we can leave a legacy we can leave something that impacts people and prepares them for eternity god bless you god establish you may god multiply you as we labor together in jesus name amen thank you It is a wonderful thing to hear of all the wonderful works God's doing in the world. Amen. Amen, amen. Ron, would you mind hooking me up with some water today? I appreciate that. I want to go ahead and uh, uh, have you open your Bibles today as we get started with some word. Uh, uh, Open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today. Father, we honor you. We thank you, Lord, for the word of God, and and we thank you, Lord, for the worship that we've had and the good report from from, uh, all that you're doing uh, with the Anyi people and the translation of your word into the Anyi language. We give you thanks for that, and Lord, for what you're doing here today in this place. We honor you, and we're excited for what you're going to do and what you're going to say and what you're going to accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to go ahead and uh, read some scripture with you. And uh, obviously, uh, we got some resurrection scripture here. um, Because we're going to talk to you today about the heart of the message. The heart of the message. This gospel message that we have is nothing if not for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you don't have to have Easter morning to emphasize the resurrection. Because praise God, I'll tell you, that's something worth celebrating every Sunday morning, every first day of the week. Hallelujah. But the scripture says here, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Interesting thing, some translations of that would actually say your, your faith is groundless. Our preaching is groundless. There's no foundation to it. There's nothing to it. There's another translation that says there's nothing in our message and nothing in our faith either. That would be a sad situation. But that is not the case because that would only be the case if he were not risen. But he is risen. Hallelujah. Right there in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, 
16 and 17, it says, For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Well, I'll tell you, I am so glad that he's risen because rather than spinning our wheels and wasting our time, the fact that he is risen means that we're doing something that, that is uh, of eternal consequence. We're doing something that matters. We're doing something that makes a difference because the resurrection has made a difference in us. Hallelujah. And I want to look at several aspects. If we can go ahead and take an overview today of this, and we can hit it from many angles, but, but I, I believe that if we can just have an overview and get stirred up regarding the importance of this central theme of the message of the gospel, the heart of the message, I believe that God will do some great things through this word to stir you up in your life and to help you realize the blessings that you have in you because of the fact that Jesus is not dead. He is alive. First of all, we see that this is something that's been predicted. Jesus himself predicted it. When uh, in, in the scripture, he began to show his disciples that he would go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And in the gospel of Matthew, there's three and possibly four. I believe there might even be four specific instances where Jesus is predicting that ahead of time. We know it's also predicted by the scriptures. Right there in that same chapter we were looking at, 1 Corinthians 15. And if we can check out verse 3, it says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. We see this. That the scriptures written long before Jesus was here on earth predicted that he would uh, be risen again. And truly that came to pass. Peter actually emphasized it as well on the day of Pentecost when he quoted David and said that David saw the resurrection ahead of time. And when he did, he wrote these words that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Hallelujah. And we know that the, the disciples didn't all get it at first. How many of you have just always got it? Yeah, you always got it the first time. I don't think so. <laughs> hey. But the disciples didn't always get it either. As a matter of fact, it took them a while to get it. The scripture actually says at a certain point that they, uh, and, and this is said after the resurrection, that as yet they did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Imagine, he's already there, he's already alive, and they still haven't put it all together. And of course, that's why Jesus, in his amazing way, uh, took the time to help connect the dots for everybody. Took a walk with two of his followers on the road to Emmaus one day. And he said this over in Luke 24. He said, then he said to them, oh, foolish ones, that slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, 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 one of my special requests of the Lord is I want to hear that sermon. I want to hear Jesus elaborate on himself and with pinpoint precision, talk about everything in the Old Testament that was fulfilled in him. So in Luke 24, in that uh, uh, scripture we just looked at, he was talking to two of his disciples. But then a little bit later on in the chapter, he had the whole gang gathered together. And look at verse 44. It says, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Hallelujah. It was predicted, and let me tell you, the prediction came to pass. Jesus even said, remember when he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll make it rise again. And later on, the disciples realized what he was talking about. He was talking about the temple of his body. Hallelujah. 
His temple was destroyed, but in three days he rose again. Hallelujah. So we see prediction made and prediction fulfilled. We also see the preaching of the resurrection, something that happened in the early days of the church, something that must never cease to happen. We must never cease to preach this and to emphasize this in every generation until the Lord returns. In Acts 4, 2, talking about the religious leaders, it says that they were greatly disturbed. How many of you have ever come across greatly disturbed religious people? Oh, Lord. It said they were greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They were preaching it. They were proclaiming that Jesus was raised from the dead and folks didn't like it, especially this group called Sadducees who did not even believe that there was a resurrection. The resurrection was even a possibility. Oh, I'll tell you, what a sad bunch they were. But, but uh, yeah, I won't use that Sadducee joke. I know you heard that a thousand times already. But I got to tell you this, you know, uh, uh, Peter and the other apostles would proclaim uh, that God, uh, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus. We see that in the book of Acts. We see Peter uh, preaching to an Italian household. Someone say, manja, manja. Come on now. Uh, and he said that him, Jesus, God raised up on the third day. So he, talking to Cornelius in his household in Acts 10, is preaching the resurrection. In Acts 17, verse 3, we'll take a look at this one. This is where Paul is explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. What was he doing? He was preaching the resurrection. He was explaining and he was demonstrating the suffering and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Later on in that same chapter, it also says he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. I got to tell you, if the Bible emphasizes something, it's important. If the Bible emphasizes something and repetitively, repetitively emphasizes it, that's something we need to pay attention to. Amen. So we see the prediction of this resurrection, and obviously it was fulfilled. And I want you to know this. Don't you think for a minute that Jesus got resurrected in some mystical kind of way? No, I'm talking about a body of a crucified man went into that tomb, and that same body that was dead came out the tomb alive. We're not talking about some mystical, ooh kind of thing. I'm talking about an absolute, literal physical resurrection. And thank God, hallelujah, he also got raised in another way because he that went to the lowest depths for us was raised far above every name, every name in heaven and in earth and under the earth. Hallelujah. Glory be to God. So now we're going to take a look at another aspect of this. We see prediction. We see preaching. How about proof? Everybody wants some proof. Well, I'll tell you what. God laid out a whole lot of proof. Well, you know, right in the beginning when Jesus was still here on this earth before he ascended to be seated on the right hand of the Father, in Acts 1-3 it says, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs and being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, infallible proofs. You know what infallible? This is my definition of infallible. You ready? You just can't make this up. All right? You you may not find that in Webster, but that's Pastor Ray's dictionary. You just can't make this up. No bow to doubt it. It is what it is. Hallelujah. Infallible proofs. And the book of Acts talks about uh, the idea of witnesses. Witnesses. Those who were eyewitnesses when they were looking for the replacement for Judas. And and, and of course, they had, uh, the the Bible says they cast lots and the lot fell on Matthias and they numbered him with the apostles. But before that, one of the qualifications of the guys they were looking for is that one who was a witness with us of his resurrection. Hallelujah. 
You know, in Acts 2.32, Peter's preaching and he said, this Jesus God has raised up of which we all are witnesses. Acts 3.15, it says, uh, this is uh, Peter uh, uh, preaching after uh, that that man who was, that layman at the gate who was begging for, for donations at the gate of the temple. And Peter said, I don't have any change in my pocket today, but what I have, I'm going to give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And right there in front of God and everybody, the man started jumping and leaping and praising God. Hallelujah. So Acts 3.15, he says this, that, uh, that they killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. So we know this, that there were multiple witnesses. Besides that, do you know 1 Corinthians 15 reveals that Jesus, after his resurrection, at a certain point, appeared to over 500 people at a single time. That's, see, that, that's great. You, you, you see that the Gospels don't have every detail. That's something you find out in the epistles, that the Gospel does not really spell out in that way. But, you know, besides the fact that you had eyewitnesses of the resurrection, you also had signs and wonders that were witnessing of the resurrection. You, you know, talking about that same man we were just talking about who got healed at the gate, that, that man who was lame and never walked and then started having himself a personal dance party with the Lord. Peter said that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole, making a definite connection between a living Christ and this man who's doing something he'd never done before. Hallelujah. Acts 4 and 33 says this, and with great power, the apostles gave witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Hallelujah. So signs and wonders are also witness of his resurrection. How about you and I? Woo! Think about this. You know that in one case, in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually said, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? What a thought. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? And then he went on to say in the book of Colossians in 127, we'll take a look at that one. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, a dead Jesus cannot change and transform somebody's life. A dead Jesus can't do anything for anybody. But it's a living Jesus who comes and lives and abides in somebody who makes some changes and some rearranges. And, uh, oh, hallelujah, the, the, the person you once were, you're not that person anymore because you've had an encounter with the risen Christ. I love 1 Corinthians 6, 11, where it says, uh, such were some of you. Paul's going through this list of fornicators and uh, 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 thieves and murderers and, and a whole, whole bunch of other category of, of, of things that the people were doing. And he said, you used to be like that. You, such were some of you. Were, that's past tense. Come on. But now, oh yeah. Someone say, but now. But now you're sanctified. Now you're justified. Hallelujah. And how do you get justified? Thank you, Lord. The apostle Paul said that he was raised for justification. The fact that we could be justified and changed to begin with is because of the resurrection, the heart of the message. Hallelujah. So I, I tell you that you as a person who's a new creature in Christ, who is not the person you used to be. What an amazing, an amazing example. What amazing proof you are that there is a risen Jesus. Come on now. I love the words of the old hymn. You ask me how. I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Come on. Hallelujah. Yeah. You are proof. You are evidence. Glory to God. 
how many of you were in that category where, yeah, you used to be like that, but now. Thank God for the but now. Thank God we're changed. Thank God we're new creatures in Christ. Thank God old things are passed away and all things have become new. I know you ain't arrived yet. I know you haven't hit perfection yet, but glory to God. You look at who you are and who you used to be and you say, there definitely is a risen Jesus. So we see the prediction of the resurrection and the preaching of the resurrection and the proof of the resurrection. How about the power of the resurrection? You know, we just read that verse a minute ago in Acts 4 where it talked about with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know, Paul also said in one of, uh, uh, in 1 Corinthians that, that, that God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. But one thing I want to show you regarding the power of the resurrection was the Apostle Paul had a passion about knowing it himself, and he also had a passion about the people that he was ministering to, to know this power as well. Philippians 3.10, the words of the Apostle Paul, he said, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Paul wanted to know him. Paul wanted to know the power of his resurrection. And he thought it was so important that when he prayed for the church of Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 1, he included that in his prayer. Starting with verse 19 of Ephesians 1. And just to put this in context, we're going to put, and that you would know what it is, because he's praying that they would know things. So so we're not adding to the verse, we're just using some of the wording in the previous verses to make this make sense. And that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us believe, according to the working of his mighty power, verse 20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Now, some of the translations of that just lay it out so clear and simple, there's no way you can miss this. Listen to this. This is the contemporary English version. He said, I want you to know about the great and mighty power that God has for us followers. It is the same wonderful power that he used when he raised Christ from death. It is the same power, the same wonderful power. So it's not like yeah, Jesus has got power 1.0 and you got power 2.0. No, it, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is toward you who believe. The New Living Translation says it like this. I also pray that you understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. Not different power, the same power. Somebody say the same power. Hallelujah. You want to know the power of his resurrection. Pray that Ephesians 1 prayer for yourself. Pray it for others, that you would receive the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, and that you would know the hope of his calling and the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. And then you see, it's the same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Hallelujah. How about this? How about the fact that Jesus himself is a prototype of the resurrection? Hallelujah. And in multiple senses of the word, we know that in the same way that Jesus was physically raised from the dead, that all those who have died in Christ are also going to experience a physical resurrection. Hallelujah. And those of us who who are alive and remain at the time when he comes to catch us up will be changed. 1 Corinthians 15 shows us that. So thank God for that. But I also want you to see another dimension of the resurrection of Christ. One dimension that has already impacted you if you are a believer. 
See, there's one aspect of the resurrection that will impact you later when you actually either are caught up in a living state and you're changed then. Or if you die before the Lord returns, the dead in Christ rise first. That's to come. But there's something about this that you already got right now. And I want to talk to you about that. And Jesus is the prototype of it. What's a prototype? Prototype is the preliminary model from which other forms are modeled or copied. So you got the, the very first one, like, like you got the prototype of an automobile. And uh, somebody gets excited about it, wants to invest in it further, wants to put it on the market. And then what happens is that you've got all, all other models and copies of that very same prototype. Well, check this out. This is Romans 1, 1 through 4. It says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God, which he promised before through his, holy, through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was born of the seed of David, according to the flesh. Now listen, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. Now this is interesting. It says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Now, those of you that might remember your, some things you read in the scripture would say, now, Jesus was already declared to be, to be the Son of God before then. You remember when Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And you hear the father's voice speaking from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. He's already been declared the son. At the time where Jesus was transfigured, he was on the Mount of Transfiguration and appeared in glory with Moses on one side, Elijah on the other. And Peter, James and John were were the witnesses of that vision. And then a, a voice spoke out of that cloud that covered them and said, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. So it's interesting that he's already been declared to be the son of God. What is different about this moment here and the way he's declared to be the son of God here? And I believe the difference is very clearly this. That what was different about his sonship being declared with power through the resurrection is that the declaration that the son who was separated from the father when he became sin for us was not abandoned to Hades. We remember we read that before in Acts about David's prediction that he would not be abandoned in Hades and that his flesh would not see corruption. But and now, rather than being abandoned to Hades, had now become the firstborn of the new creation. Hallelujah. Think about this. It was the declaration that the son who was separated from the father when he was made to be sin for us. But now we realize this. He was not abandoned to Hades and that he had become the firstborn of the new creation. Hallelujah. Now, let's check that out. That's a new thought to us, the idea of Jesus being the firstborn. We're used to calling Jesus the only begotten son of the father. But, but what about this firstborn language? What's this mean? Well, first of all, I need you to realize this, that the scripture, when talking about the resurrection of Christ, and one of the Psalms that predicts the resurrection, is actually calling the resurrection a birth. Imagine that. You ready for this? You know I'm not pulling your leg. We're going to read it. You'll see it for yourselves. Acts 13, verse 29. Now, now, this is Paul preaching. He said, now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he raised up Jesus as it is also written in the second Psalm. You are my son today. I have begotten you. That was not a prediction of Christmas morning. That was a prediction of resurrection morning. And Paul said it right there. 
Jesus was begotten. Wow. What a thought that Jesus was begotten. What else does the Bible say about that? Well, Psalm 89 uh, refers to this. God said, I will make him my firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. You know, in Hebrews 12, the church is actually called the church of the firstborn. Wow. Revelation describes Jesus as the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Oh, come on, somebody. Colossians 1, 18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You know, Paul, in uh, his preaching over in the book of Acts, actually identified Christ as the uh, one who would suffer and that he would be the first to rise from the dead. Well, he was not the first to physically rise from the dead because other people had experienced that before, both in the Old Testament and in Jesus' ministry as well. So the kind of resurrection that Jesus experienced could not have been merely a physical one. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been the first. But then Romans 8, 29 says this, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Hallelujah. So I want you to know that on resurrection morning, there was a birth, glory to God. Jesus was, although already was the Son of God, was declared to be the Son of God with power on that resurrection morning. He was the firstborn from the dead, the firstborn among many brethren. I love the words in Hebrews chapter 2 where it describes this, that both he who sanctifies... And those who are sanctified are all from the same father. And that's why he's not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So Jesus is the prototype. Colossians says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Revelation describes him as the head of God's new order, the beginning of God's new creation. The, those are some, some uh, uh, different translations. It's where Jesus identified himself as the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. And some other translations of that use the term the head of God's new order or the beginning of God's new creation. Hallelujah. Now, how about this? Hebrews 6. Now, this is going to go ahead and really bless you because this is the prototype at work. This hope we have is an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil where the forerunner has entered for us. Even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Glory to God forever. Think about this, that a forerunner, the, the, the very definition of that word that's used in Scripture, uh, is one who comes in advance to a place where the rest are to follow. One who comes in advance to a place where the rest are to follow. So Jesus was the firstborn among many brethren. Am I talking to some of the many? Hey, I know I am. And he went behind the veil first. And now... All believers enjoy this same access into the very presence of God. Hallelujah. Jesus, the prototype. Jesus, the firstborn from the dead. Jesus, the first one to go into that heavenly holy of holies where he went with his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption for us. And now we can go behind the veil. We can go into that very presence. Jesus went as the forerunner, but he was the forerunner so that all those who came after him, that second born, that third born, that fourth born, that 50 millionth born, and so on and so on, could go ahead and have access to that same presence on the other side of that veil. And it's not a place on earth. This is not that tabernacle that Moses set up. Because don't forget what Moses set up here was based on the pattern of what was already there. Hallelujah. 
So we're talking about you while you're here living this life, living in this body. When you pray, when you go into the presence of God, your body's here. But where are you in spirit? You are right there behind the veil in the presence of God. Hallelujah. And how did you get to be a begotten? Jesus is a first begotten. How did you get to be a begotten? First Peter 1, 3 lays it out. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. You've been begotten again to a living hope. And how did that happen to you? Through the resurrection. Hallelujah. So you are begotten just like Jesus was begotten. Glory to God. And he is not ashamed to call you his brother or to call you his sister. Amen. Amen. Well, we got time flying because time flies when you're having fun. Hey. So um, what we'll do, we're going to skip over some scripture and uh, we're, we're going to go ahead and uh, catch up with uh, Romans 4. One other thing I want to emphasize to you, actually two more things. After seeing that Jesus is the prototype of the resurrection, I also want you to see the provisions of this resurrection. That because of Jesus being raised from the dead, there's provisions that have been made available to you, hallelujah, and made available to me. The most important of all is if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And nothing more important than that. You know, the scripture also talks about having a good conscience toward God. Hallelujah. The Bible also talks about in Acts 13 that, that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. And he has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And if you look in the Old Testament, particularly in the book of Isaiah, you see that the sure mercies of David is a reference to the everlasting covenant. Hallelujah. But we see this, that we have righteousness and justification as some of the provisions made for us through the resurrection of Christ. Now, remember, and just to give you the context here of where we're going to start reading, earlier in this chapter, it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. You ever read that in the Bible before? It's in Genesis. Paul talks about it here in Romans 4. And so he's picking up there with that thought. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, that righteousness was imputed to him, but also for us. It, righteousness, shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So I want you to see that righteousness is imputed to you. Or in other words, it's put in your bank account if you believe in him who raised Jesus the Lord from the dead. You've got righteousness in your bank account. The Bible goes on to say, we just read it, he, that he was raised for our justification. So you are righteous and justified in the sight of God. And the very reason that you can stand there in that condition before God is because of you putting your faith in the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Because of the resurrection, you have these things. He was raised for your justification. So you stand before God justified. And the old timers used to say, if you want to know what justified means, it means justified, never sinned. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory to God. And, you know, there's uh, other things that you see as benefits of the, uh, this provision, the provisions that have come to us through the resurrection. You see, uh, Romans 7 talks about that we should bear fruit to God. How about Romans 8? woo Verse 11, but if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Hallelujah. I want you to know that you can have life given to your mortal body through the resurrection. Now, mortal means death doomed. That's what the word mortal means. Now, 
if this is only talking about the resurrection from the dead, then you're not death doomed at that point. You're just dead. You're past the doom part. You're just dead. But here, this is something for those who are living, living alive right now in our mortal bodies. That resurrection power can give life to our mortal bodies right now here while we're living this life. Glory to God. And I'll tell you, if there's one provision of the resurrection that will make you want to shout, it is this. Glory to God. Let's go also in Romans 8. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. If you feel like you're having a hot day and uh, the pressure's on and it's getting hot in the kitchen, somebody, I want you to know that the son of God, the firstborn, is right there on the right hand of the father and he is making intercession for you. And the scripture says in Hebrews, he ever lives to make intercession for us. Someone say, Jesus is praying for me and his prayers get answered. Hey, hey, hey. hallelujah. Glory to God. Well, as we wrap this up today, I want to wrap this up by looking at the personality of God. That his personality, what he's like, what his character is, is one of resurrection. Woo, hallelujah. So we looked at the prediction of the resurrection and the preaching of the resurrection. The proof and the power of the resurrection. Jesus being the prototype of the resurrection, and we were the the ones who were modeled after the prototype. We looked at provisions that are ours in the resurrection, but now the personality of the resurrection, the personality of God is that of him being one who raises the dead. 2 Corinthians 1.9, yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Come on now. Romans 4, 17, as it is written, I've made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God who gives life to the dead. What's he like? He gives life to the dead. That's what he's like and calls those things which, which uh, do not exist as though they did. Abraham, when he went up with Isaac on the mountaintop in Hebrews 11, uh, the the writer is uh, recalling that. And he says that Abraham concluded that God was able to raise him up. That's talking about Isaac, even from the dead. Hallelujah. Because he had confidence in the nature and the personality of God, that God was a resurrector. Paul, in one of his sermons, he said, why would you think it's an incredible thing that God should raise the dead? It's in his DNA. It's his personality. It's what he's like. Jesus was preaching. And he said, he's called the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So even though Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are no longer with us, Jesus recognized God as being the God of the living, not the God of the dead. Hallelujah. Jesus identified himself in John 11 as the resurrection and the life. John chapter 11 and uh, verse 25 is where Jesus said that. So we see the personality of God as being one who raises the dead. But I say to you, how does that factor in to the circumstances of your life? Have you ever come across something that looked dead? Oh, yeah, I'm sure you have. You come across situations that look dead, things that look like they have absolutely no possibility of life. But I want you to know God raises the dead. You see, remember Ezekiel 37? That's the valley of dry bones. Woo! And what did God tell Ezekiel to do when he showed up to a valley full of dry bones? He said, prophesy and say, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Speak life to dry bones. That's what God told him to do. So you might come across dry bones in your life. And you think, well, yeah, we need to call CSI. There's definitely been a crime here. (laughs) But you know, you might think, call CSI. But when God shows up to a valley of dry bones, he says, prophesy. 
Say something. Speak life to what's dead in your life. Because the very God who lives inside of you is a God who raises the dead. So I tell you, you think of something that needs some prophesying today, and you get to talking to that thing, and you say, my God, I don't know about anybody else's God, but my God is a God who raises the dead. And he calls the things that do not exist as though they did. Hallelujah. And God, I tell you, this, this is amazing. This is a shift in our thinking. Because when something looks dead, you would say, well, that's it. It's, it's over. It's not getting any better than this. But I got to tell you, people of faith are getting stirred up and realizing, no, this ain't the way the story is going to end because God is a God who raises the dead. And when God shows up to dry bones, he doesn't just say, oh, too bad, we're too late. No, he speaks to dry bones. Hallelujah. Jesus was accused of being late to Lazarus' funeral. But he wasn't late. Hallelujah. So are you ready? Live a resurrected life. The resurrected Jesus is inside of you. And all the benefits and provisions of this resurrection are inside of you. Live life like you believe it. Because it's true about you. It's true right now in heaven. In the throne room of God. It is settled by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. Glory to God. When you bow your heads with me, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus, you've been hearing about this wonderful resurrection, but you've not experienced personally the benefits that come from this. And that number one benefit, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That, that if you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you confess him as Lord, that you'd be saved. This is your day. Do not hesitate another moment. Do not think about it for another moment. This is your day. And if you're here or if you're watching my live stream and you want to go ahead and receive Jesus, this is your moment. So right here in the house, I'm going to ask a simple question. If you're here and you do not know the Lord Jesus, I want you to go ahead and raise your hand with me because we're going to pray together today. If you want to go ahead and meet Jesus personally, I don't mean that you're going to heaven today to meet him. But I mean, right here in this room, you can have an encounter with him because he's alive. He's a living Jesus. And he's here to meet you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Well, if there's anybody here and also if there's anybody via the live stream, I want to pray this prayer with you. And not just to, you know, by rope, repeat something, you know, uh, that, that doesn't mean anything. I mean, if you believe this and you are certain about your your decision to commit to him and to believe in him and to follow him, this is for you. Hallelujah. And I tell you, he loves you so much. And what an opportunity this is to celebrate this message, the heart of the message, the very central theme of the gospel, the fact that Jesus is alive by receiving him as your savior today. So if you're in the room or if you're by live stream, please pray this with me. Mean it with all your heart. Father, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. I confess him as my Lord. I repent from my sins. I will turn and follow you and only you all the days of my life. Thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. I believe with all my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Hallelujah. If, if you prayed that for the first time today, there's going to be somebody that you can meet up with right in our cafe. Uh, coffee's not on right now, but... But you got something better than coffee going on. Somebody who's going to go ahead and take some time to pray with you and lead you, the, show you the way and, and lead you into uh, the depths of your relationship with God and let you know where you can go from here. Those of you on live stream that might have prayed that with us for the first time, please do get in contact with us. You can call the office during the day, uh, office hours 830 to 4, Monday through Friday, 
508-336-4110. If you prefer to get to us by email, you can go ahead and find our pastor's email addresses right on our website, faithccenter.com. But we'd love to hear from you. And today, why don't you go ahead and stand? And as we prepare to go, don't forget that uh, those of you that do have a physical offering in the house, you may have uh, texted your gift or or gone on the website and given that way. But if you've got a physical gift with you, you can actually go ahead and grab an envelope in the back if you're not, if you've not already done so. And you can leave uh, your tithe or your offering in the containers right in the back. I tell you, Jesus is alive and I love him so much. Do you love Jesus today? Well, let's go ahead and honor him today. We're going to go ahead and sing a song to celebrate this resurrection. And I want you all to enjoy a beautiful Sunday. And let's sing as we go. Amen. Amen.